This sermon is brought to you by Christ Church South Philadelphia, a church that is committed to living out the gospel in their neighborhood and from there impacting the world. For more information about our church or to support our mission, you can go to www.ChristChurchSouthPhilly.org. Let's take our Bible now and go to Isaiah chapter 9. What, a, what an honor and a joy to be able to bring an Advent message, a Christmas message this day after Christmas. Um, this is possibly one of my favorite Advent texts. It's hard to say that. We, whenever my kids say, what's your favorite movie? What's your favorite food? I'm like, do we have to compare? Can't, can't everything just be good, right? But, but this, honestly, is one of my favorites. This prophetic birth announcement from Isaiah. Familiar words, but I'm praying it'll be a rich, memorable Christmas meditation for us this morning. Let us hear the word of God, Isaiah 9, 2 through 7. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. And here's why. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. That is God's word. May he add his blessing to his reading and preaching by the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I still remember when I was a young kid how I completely and totally obsessed over getting a certain gift for that particular Christmas. I still remember the morning I saw the commercial when I was watching Saturday morning cartoons. For the first time, I saw him on the screen, He-Man, the master of the universe. And from that day forward, I could not wait to get my hands on my very own He-Man action figure. I tortured my parents with requests, requests from that day till Christmas Day in hopes that on that Christmas morning, I would find in a small plastic package the most powerful man in the universe. And so I don't even think I slept that Christmas Eve. I was so jazzed about waking up and seeing if I would discover He-Man in my pile. Well, that's what we called them. We were a poor family, so pile is a little bit of an exaggeration, but that's what we called them. I was one of six boys, and so we each had our pile, and it was around the tree. There was Ian and Ryan and Justin and Keith and Derek and Scott. And I still remember 
sneaking down on Christmas morning before anyone else was awake. I broke all the rules. I went to my pile and I looked for one thing and one thing only. I wanted He-Man. As soon as I saw a package that I thought was it, I picked it up and I unwrapped it. And there he was. And all of his great and powerful glory. I opened him up, put his sword in his hand, and if you knew what he said, I said it by the power of Grayskull. I have the power! But now he needed someone to do some damage with. So I looked into my pile, and there was another package wrapped that was the same similar size. I opened that up, and that was Skeletor, his, his, his arch rival. And so I'm having this two-way battle between He-Man and Skeletor. Well, that got a little old. I wanted some more guys. So I looked down in my pile, and there were no more action figures in my pile. So I went to my brother Ryan's pile. And I looked in his pile, and sure enough, there were some packages there that resembled the same shape and size as the two I just opened. And yes, I did it. I opened up Man-at-Arms, and I opened up Beast-Man, and I was having this four-way battle. My, my, my obsession with this gift turned into a full-out disorder as I broke all the rules on Christmas morning. And then my brothers woke up, and another battle broke out, okay? I was completely obsessed with that gift. When you ask kids these days, what gets you most excited about Christmas, they're going to be honest. They're going to say what we want to say, the presents. I mean, yesterday we were gathered with our family in New Jersey. Our family's local, at least until we move to plant that church in San Jose this summer. My family's in Philly. Rachel's family's in Jersey. We're all together. Tons of kids. You know what they're asking each other? What did you get? What did you get? You know, they can get, it can get a little obsessive. It can get a little over commercialized, but you know what? Kids aren't too far from the truth. Christmas is about a present. Christmas is about a gift. Christmas is about the gift of all gifts, but this isn't a gift that anyone finds under the tree. For about 4,000 years, through prophets and priests and kings through a sacrificial system and a tabernacle and then a temple. All of God's word, all of God's history was getting the world ready for the gift of all gifts. And here we are, over 2,000 years later, still making a big deal about this gift, still singing about it, still getting together and giving gifts in honor of this gift. Here we are. Every Christmas, celebrating the gift of all gifts. Isaiah 9, 2 through 7 is one of the most powerful and provocative scriptures that prophesy about this gift. Isaiah delivered this prophecy over 700 years before it came true. How in the birth of Jesus, delivered through the Virgin Mary, in the manger, in Bethlehem of Judea, we find there God's most gracious, perfect, and infinite gift. And the big idea I want us to consider this morning from this prophetic birth announcement is that the reason why this gift is so amazing is because the giver is actually the gift. 
the giver is the gift. What makes this gift the gift of all gifts is that through Jesus Christ, God gives us God. Through Jesus, the Messiah, God gives us God because church, we needed a king and a savior. And so this morning, I want us to just take some time to be amazed once again by the giver and the gift. I want us to enter in to the experience of my father-in-law. He's 72 years old. And every time we get together as a family, he reads that Christmas story. And with wonder, like he just learned it yesterday, with a, with a quivering voice and a crack in his throat, he prays to the Father in thanksgiving for giving us the gift of Jesus. And my prayer this morning is that as we meditate on the giver and the gift, we'd enter into that wonder once again, or maybe for some of you for the first time, that there's no gift like Jesus. And there's no giver like the Father. The giver is the gift. God gives us God to bring us back to God. Let's consider first, God is the giver. And then second, God is the gift. Those are our two categories. Let's meditate. Let's be moved to wonder. God is the giver. The heart and soul of this text is verse 6. For unto us a child is born. To us a son is given. What's the gift? God gives us a son. Notice that, that, that this prophecy and, and the Christmas season in general directs our attention to a fundamental characteristic of God. God is a giver. God is generous. God is not stingy. God is not some cosmic Ebenezer Scrooge who reluctantly gives. God is generous. God is a cheerful giver. And I want you to notice a few things about the way that God gives. First, notice that God gives to us passionately. God is a passionate giver. How do we know this? As this prophecy comes to a close in verse 7, notice it says that the zeal of the Lord will do this. Do what? Give us this son. Give us this child. This God will zealously, passionately, enthusiastically, eagerly give us this child. That's what the word zeal means in this, in this text. It means to do something with great eagerness, with great passion. So what's this mean? It simply means this. In the giving of this son, God was not reluctant. In the giving of this child, God was not unsure. God was eager, passionate, zealous, fervent, energized to give us this son. Now, we're not always like this, are we? I mean, just think about maybe these last couple weeks as you're out doing Christmas shopping. There's Christmas shopping that you love to do. And then there's that moment where you're like, oh, that's right. We need to get that person a gift. Or am I the only one? Come on, right? 
They're going to be at that gathering. That person's going to be there. You're like, oh, no, i got to get them a gift. And it's not even about the money. You're just reluctant, dragging your feet a little bit, right? God's not like that, ever. God is a passionate giver. Uh, notice another detail here about the way God gives. He not only gives passionately his zeal, he also gives graciously. God gives to people who don't deserve his gifts. God gives the son eagerly, but he gives the son undeservingly or graciously. How do we know this? I mean, the whole backdrop to this text. Look at verse 2 in particular. Notice that the recipients of this gift are said to walk in darkness or to dwell in a land of deep darkness. The, the darkness, church, is referring to human sin, which means that the people God is giving this child to are a people living in moral and spiritual darkness. They rebelled against God, their creator. They have rebelled against God, their sustainer. God said, walk in the light. And they said, no, we're going to walk over here in the dark. God says, do this. And these people said, no, 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 we're going to do that. These are people who, when God said yes, they said no. When God said no, they said yes. These are people who have shaken their fist in the face of God and said, like Frank Sinatra, I'll do it my way. Does this sound familiar? It's not just those people. It's you. It's me. This is the way we are. You know what's interesting to me? Um, that in the legend of Santa Claus, sorry, spoiler alert, the legend of Santa Claus, um, it's interesting who gets the gifts in the legend of Santa Claus. He's making a list. Oh, for years I was scared of that list when I was a kid. He's making a list. He's checking it. How many times? He's going to find out who's naughty or nice. Now, now why does he have this list? Why is he checking it twice? Because only the nice boys and girls are going to get the gifts. The naughty boys and girls, uh-uh. They're going to get coal in their stocking, right? I still remember. There was one, one fall. We were, we were bad kids as it was, but we, we were extremely torturous to one another one particular fall. And mom, like, was warning us from, like, from Thanksgiving on, if you keep acting like this, if you guys keep giving each other a hard time, you're going to get coal in your stocking. No presents for Christmas. I'm like, yeah, whatever. Santa Claus isn't listening to you. You're probably on the naughty list too, mom. We were horrible. And we woke up that Christmas morning, and wouldn't you know, there were charcoal briquettes in our stocking. <laughs> Mom showed us. The legend of Santa Claus is nothing like the truth of the gospel. The good news about God is that he gives his good gifts to those who are on the naughty list. God gives his good gifts to sinners. God gives his good gifts to the bad kids. Why? Because he is a gracious giver. 
God is the giver. Notice how he gives passionately. Notice how he gives graciously. And so in this prophecy, it's clear. The truth about God is crystal clear. He is a giver. He loves to give. He's eager to give. And he gives graciously. And that's good news to all of us this morning, isn't it? God is a gracious, generous, passionate giver. But that's not all that we see in this prophecy. It's not just that God gives. Look what he gives. Notice second that God is not only the giver, notice also that God is the gift. Look at verse 6 again. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. Now, if you're a parent, grandparent, you know, children are a gift in general. To have children in your life, it's a gift. And you grandparents in the house, you have it made. You have all the joy but none of the responsibility. That's amazing, okay? It's nothing like it is when you get that little gift in your hands when you're, when you're a parent, right? It's a joy. It's a gift. You'll even say, I mean, quote scripture, children are a gift from the Lord, right? But this is not an ordinary child. This is not just a general, children are a gift. This is a particular son. This is a particular child. The gift that God is giving is no ordinary baby. I mean, as a, a quick scan of scripture, the Bible has been preparing us for this gift for centuries. This child is often referred to as the promised one, the promised son. This is the long-awaited child promised way back in Genesis chapter 3.15 when God was pronouncing the curse over mankind on account of the fall. He says that the seed of the woman will one day come forth bearing a child who will crush the head of the serpent. This promised child was one that was being waited for to come and bring an end to sin and death and Satan's tyranny. This is that promised son. This is the miraculous son who would be born of a woman, but not in an ordinary way. In Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, we're told that this child will be born of a virgin. Now, parents, you also know that as you create traditions to celebrate Advent and Christmas with your kids, it's pretty tricky getting around children when they're at a very young age, explaining to them why it's significant that Mary was a virgin when Jesus was born. I mean, we, we did pretty good, didn't we, kids? I mean, we got around it really well until they were old enough to understand why it was significant that Mary was a virgin. Why? Because, again, I'll be really blunt. This child would not be born of human semen. This child would be born of the Holy Spirit. This would be a miraculous birth. Why? Because virgins don't have babies. But this baby would be special, would be spiritual. This baby will be born of the Holy Spirit. So this is the promised son, the miraculous son. But even more than that, as Isaiah goes deeper into this prophecy, this would be the divine son. This, this child would not just be human. This child would also be divine. His name would be called Emmanuel, which being interpreted means what? God with us. The birth of this child signifies that God is now with us in human form. So this is no ordinary child. This child, this gift, this son is the son of God. 
promised, miraculous, divine. In other words, God the Father gives us God the Son through the power of God the Holy Spirit. God gives us God through the power of God. You know what we say about that? That's a miracle. That's amazing. What a gift. The giver is the gift. And there's no mistake who this child is in human history. It's interesting to point out that what Isaiah writes about this child in exact detail is fulfilled in the birth of Jesus Christ from Nazareth. We are not still waiting for this Messiah to be born. He has come. I still remember back when Rachel and I had our first house in Junietta Park down in lower northeast Philadelphia. And through the help of a gracious friend, we were getting a very, very needy bathroom renovated. And we were getting estimates on that, on that bathroom. And we had one of the guys who came to do an estimate on that bathroom was an older gentleman. And you could tell he was in the family business for quite some time. He was a very generous, boisterous Jewish man. And he, was, he spent the first half hour of this meeting to do an estimate bragging on his son who was a doctor. And at the end, I mean, you could tell he was just real eager to tell us about his son. And at the end of his conversation, here's what he said to us. I cannot, I, I do not exaggerate this. Rachel is my witness. He goes, and you know what? As I really think about it, that son of mine, he's Messiah material. I'm like, excuse me. No, he's not. He's already come, and his name is Jesus. Matthew 1, 20 through 23 the angel Gabriel appeared to Joseph and said, Behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit, and she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. Notice that Joseph is told that this child will be the fulfillment of Isaiah 7.14. The angel also appeared to Mary in Luke 1.26-33. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying, and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob for how long? Forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. The long-awaited forever king had arrived in the birth of Jesus Christ. The promised son, the miraculous son, the divine son. For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. This son, this child is Jesus. So God the Father gives us 
God's Son, the power of God, the Holy Spirit, the giver, is the gift. Now, it's important to ask the question, well, what is this gift for? You know, at Christmas time when we get gifts, maybe you opened up some gifts yesterday, and they kind of fit into two categories, gifts you wanted, gifts you needed. Okay, I guess there's a third category. What in the world? <laughs> right, right. But the best gifts are a combination of what you want and what you need. That's exactly what we find in Jesus. He's the gift that meets us right where we need to be met and also satisfies the deepest longings of all we want and could ever hope to have. Why did we need this gift? Well, notice in the text, the details, we, we can't get into to the weeds here, but I just want to notice, introduce the categories because they are stunning. Notice that God gives us God first because we, we needed a king. We, we needed a leader. And the government shall be upon his shoulders, verse 6. And the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. Is this what drives us nuts every political cycle? It doesn't matter where you are on the, on the political, on the political um, um, spectrum. We want a leader who's honest, filled with integrity, whose character we can trust, who will do justly and will be righteous, and will represent his people appropriately with integrity. Isn't that what we want? If we just have leaders who would do that, we'd be happy. Do we ever get leaders who are like that completely? The answer is no. Could we ever be leaders who would do that perfectly and completely? The answer is no. But we got one. We got one in Jesus. We got a perfect king because we needed one. We need a leader to govern our lives, to bring order and purpose. We need a leader to, to, who would take us in the right direction, out of darkness and into light. We need a leader who would protect us from our enemies. We need a leader who would provide for us. We need a leader who would, who would bring us in, into a cause that's bigger than ourselves, that's worth living for. And that's what the Father's given us in Jesus Christ. We needed God to lead us. And we were given Jesus to be our king. And here's something we don't often think about. We need, we desperately need the authority and leadership of God in our lives. And God's leadership, God's authority is not meant to stifle our joy. God's leadership and authority is meant to bless us and protect us. I mean, just, just what did authority look like in the Garden of Eden? God said, don't eat from that tree. There's the authority. Don't eat it. Why? The day you eat it, you shall surely die. Here's the authority. Here's the purpose of the authority of God. God's perfect authority, God's leadership, God's reign over our lives is meant to protect us from death and to lead us into life. 
but we got it backwards. We think God's authority is a killjoy. We're a bunch of rebellious teenagers at heart who think that the authority of our parents are to stifle our joy rather than to lead us and protect us. We need a king because we need to be protected. We need a king because we need to live the true blessed life. And that's what has been provided for us in Jesus. And look at his credentials. His credentials are amazing. They're reflected in all these names, these titles. King Jesus, he's a great leader. Why? He's a wonderful counselor. Ask yourself, do you ever face situations in life where you don't know what to do? God gave us Jesus to help us to, to know how to make sense of the stuff that's going on in our lives. You need the counsel of a wise king. And so you know what you got for Christmas? You got a wonderful counselor in Jesus. King Jesus is also a mighty God. God gave us Jesus to enable us to, to face the stuff in life that's beyond our strength. Do you ever face temptations and, and difficulties that are just too much for you to handle? Are there burdens in your life right now that are just too heavy to carry? You know what you need? You need a mighty God who will carry it for you. And that's what you got for Christmas in Jesus. King Jesus is, is an everlasting father. Now, this can be a little confusing. How is Jesus a father? Well, this isn't talking about him in his role. This is talking about him in his manner as king. He's a compassionate and caring leader. He doesn't have an agenda and will crush all in his way to accomplish it. As he rules, as he reigns, he's tender and compassionate, considering the needs of all those whom he's leading. He's a fatherly king. You need the care of a leader, and that's what you got for Christmas in Jesus. He's a prince of peace. God gives us Jesus to bring stillness to our storm and, and stability and hope to all of our uncertainties. I mean, ask yourself, do you ever feel like you're one step away from falling apart? You know what you need? You need a Prince of Peace. And that's exactly what you got for Christmas and the giving of Jesus. What a gift. You needed a leader. You needed a king. You need someone whose rule and authority is for you and not against you. And that's what you got. That's what we got, church, in this child, in this son, Jesus Christ. So God gives us Jesus because we needed a king. But finally, God gives us Jesus because we needed a savior. This becomes obvious as we look at the backdrop in verses 2 through 5. And again, time does not permit, and I really, that's, I'm not just saying that because I have more here that I would like to give. I, I knew that we would only have time to just, just skim the surface of these wonderful thoughts that are embedded in this text. But just think about what we need saving from. Look at the text. The Father gives us Jesus to save us from darkness and bring us into light. Look at verse 2. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them has light shined. As I already mentioned, the darkness here is symbolic of sin. And 
Isaiah paints a bleak picture. We are sinful people living in a deep, dark, sinful world. And John's gospel tells us that Jesus was not sent into the darkness to condemn the world, but to save it. What's this mean? Jesus was sent into the dark world as a light, first to expose our sin, not to embarrass us, not to condemn us, not to crush us, but to convince us there's a better way. We weren't meant for the darkness. We were created to be children of light with him and for him forever. And so Jesus comes into the darkness, exposes sin, and convinces us to be with him. So we needed our darkness to be exposed. And we needed to see that there was a better way to be with God and for God forever. And that's exactly what we got for Christmas. We got a rescuer to bring us from darkness to light. The Father gave us Jesus to save us from our sorrows and replace it with joy. Look at verse 3. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. What I'm about to say now is not a shocker, ready? Sin robs us of joy. The sins that we think will satisfy us actually end up destroying us and hurting those around us. Can I get a witness? That's the hard truth about sin. Sin makes promises it will never keep. It holds on to us longer than we want to be held. and ends up taking us places we never want to go. And the end is guilt and shame and sorrow and pain. But here's the good news. Jesus was sent to replace the sorrow of sin with the joy of salvation. Our hearts long for true joy and satisfaction. And church, the good news of Christmas is that Jesus was given to us so we can trade in our sorrows for the joy of his salvation. The Father gives us Jesus to also save us from our bondage and give us the good gift of freedom. Look at verse 4. For the yoke of this burden... And the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. Again, Jesus says in John chapter 8 that those who sin are slaves of sin. Sin is oppressive. Rebellion is in our blood. We can't help but sin. It's, it's, natural, it's as natural for us to sin as it is for us to breathe. You say, come on, Ian, this is Christmas. You're talking about sin a lot. Well, if we're going to talk about Jesus, we're going to talk about sin. Because he's the savior from sin. It's natural for us to sin. And it's bondage. Jesus says it's, it's a form of slavery. And even for those of you here today who are followers of Jesus Christ, you know this to be true. Let's be honest. We all still have remaining in us a tendency to do the same sins over and over again. Or again, am I the only one? You know, think about it. We all have a predisposition to certain repetitive sins 
even as followers of Jesus. Sin is enslaving. But here's the good news of Christmas. Jesus came to break that bondage. Jesus came. He was given to us to set us free. You don't have to be defined by your predispositions to certain sins. You can be defined by the freedom of Jesus. This is the gift of Christmas. And then finally, notice again as we think of Jesus being given to be our Savior, not only saving us from sorrow to joy and bondage and to freedom, from darkness to light, but notice here that the Father gives us Jesus to save us from war and give us peace. Look at verse 5. For every boot of a tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. This is a graphic picture of legions and legions of soldiers bringing their military uniforms and bringing their boots and throwing them in a great bonfire. See, why are they doing that? Because through the giving of the Son, He will bring the end to all wars. There'll be no more need for boots. There'll be no more need for military uniforms. There'll be no more need for weapons. Why? Because this Son is being given to bring peace. But again, you have to understand that there is an already and not yet fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy. There's a spiritual and a literal dimension to these prophecies across the board. Prophecy is tricky stuff. And if you got some teachers out there who say, okay, this is exactly the way it is and we know exactly how it's going to work out, be careful. We approach prophecy with great humility. But the spiritual element to this is what's most important for us. Oh yes, there's coming a day at Jesus' second advent where there will be peace on earth forever. The new heavens and the new earth where Christ will reign in all of his fullness. right now here's what jesus does he ends your war with god we're all born natural enemies of god opposing him resisting him going against him isaiah wants us to feel the dark backdrop of our human depravity as we are brought to celebrate the significance of this savior that he was given to end your war with God. Maybe this morning you're, you, have a, you have a wrestling, a war with God going on right now. You're really struggling with the way your life's turned out. You're really struggling with the, with, the, with the way a particular chapter in your life has been going. And you've just been butting heads with God. Here's what Jesus was given for. Jesus was given to make sense of those difficult moments. Jesus was given to help us see that peace is on, comes on the other side of difficult times. That all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. How does Jesus know this? How does Jesus know that on the other side of war is peace? Because he went to battle for us. He went to war for us. When he left heaven and came to earth, yes, we, we think of the peace of the manger scene, but he came to do battle for us. 
He came to resist the devil on our behalf. He came to be tempted in all manner like we are and never sin. He came to be resisted by the evil one every day of his incarnate life on this earth for you. And he went to the cross and absorbed the full fury of God's wrath that we deserve for being his enemies. So that on the other side of the cross, he would emerge victorious from the tomb, winning the war for you. Jesus came to do battle and win the war so that you could have peace with God now and forever. What a gift! I don't care if there's a low stock of PS5s and Xboxes, whatever. If you didn't get that for Christmas, you're okay. You got Jesus. You didn't get the cashmere or whatever. That's okay because you got Jesus. You might not get every gift you want in this physical material world, but you have the gift of all gifts in Jesus. You need a king and you need a savior. It's exactly what you got from this gracious, generous God. What a gift. You needed a king and you needed a savior. And the father passionately, graciously, generously gave us Jesus. You needed a king to bring rule and order to your life. And that's what you got in Jesus. You needed a wonderful counselor to guide and direct you, and that's what you got in Jesus. You needed a mighty God to provide and protect you, church, and that's what you got in Jesus. You needed an everlasting Father to care for you and support you, and that's what you got in Jesus. You needed a Prince of Peace to comfort and stabilize you, and that's what you got in Jesus. And church, you needed a Savior to turn your darkness into light, your sorrow into joy, your bondage into freedom, your war into peace. And I've got good news for you. That's what you got in Jesus. God is the giver. God is the gift. For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. What a gift. What a giver. Amen. Amen. That makes for a Merry Christmas. Let's pray.